The Lord is a very present help in the time of trouble. Whether your trouble seems big or whether it seems small, he is a very present help in the time of trouble. You don't have to wait on him to show up because he was always there anyway. All that has to happen is that you become aware that he was always there. And that is why we can have hope no matter what the season is. Because we trust that he already has a plan, that he always already has a way of escape, that nothing that could ever happen in life takes him by surprise. That's right. He is never moved. Come on. He not moved by what other people do. He not moved by what you do. He is never moved. He is steadfast. And I'm so glad he's steadfast because I'm not always steadfast. I ain't always faithful. I don't always do what it is I'm supposed to do. I love the Apostle Paul where he says the thing that I desire to do is the thing that I don't do. And the thing that I don't desire to do is the thing that I do. I find myself doing it. But what I can count on is that even when I find myself where I shouldn't be, he's right there to get me back to where I should be. And that's why I love him like I do. I was thinking the other day, I, I, I did this Facebook Live and somebody asked me an interesting question. It was about friendship and they said friendship and relationship. And they were like, what do you do when the person you're in relationship with wants you to do something other than what God wants you to do? And I was like, that ain't even a question to me. <laughs> because there is nobody in my life that stands on equal footing with God. I don't love nobody like I love God. He's first. So if Edwin want me to do something God don't want me to do it, I'm going to obey God. And Edwin and God can talk about it. If my kids want me to do something that goes against what God wants me to do, I'm going to obey God. Because here's what I found, that if you go with people over God, they can't save you when it fall apart. <laughs> and I just wish that there would just be such a surrender in your lives. It's funny because I was going to talk about this a little bit, but listen, a lot of you are good people, but you're not surrendered people. Your life still belongs to you. It's why you can't fix your relationship problems because your life belongs to you. It's why you can't fix your money problems because your life belongs to you. Your life doesn't belong to God. He's Savior, but He's not your Lord. And the reason that you know that He's Savior and not your Lord because He's who you call when you get in trouble, but you don't listen to the instruction that would keep you out of trouble. That's the difference between Savior and Lord. 
And I just believe that in this season right here, I believe it's always relevant for every season. But that in this season, it is so important for you to make sure that you are surrendered to God. That your life belongs to God. Sold out completely. Which means that the truth of it is, is that some of you need to dethrone some relationships that you have. You've got your kids in a place they don't belong in. You've got your spouse, your significant other in a place that they don't belong. You've got your job in a place that it doesn't belong. All those things, they change. They fade away. But he is the same forever. So if you've got to choose who you go rock with, you should rock with God. And one of the things I have found about God is how faithful he is, is that if you take a stand and do what he wants you to do, he got a way to work the other stuff out. And, it's, and it's, so many of us don't realize really how much idolatry we have in our life. We don't realize how much idolatry we have in our life because, because we grew up reading about Greek mythology and gods with different names. You know, and our gods got different names too. They just call wife, husband, job, money, sleep, ego, pride. And so many times we find ourselves in situations, not because God has put us in that situation, but because the following of the thing that we have exalted of God, as God has put us in that situation. And then we're so disappointed. You know, I talked about this back when a lot of people got laid off at Walmart and people would go, their job was so demanding they couldn't go to church. And then they got laid off and they're like, God, why'd you let this happen to me? You mean Walmart, why'd you let this happen to me, right? Because you were because Walmart made you too busy for God. But even just even for you who have kids, and I want you to hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying like if your kids are in activities, things that are involved in their destiny, nobody's saying that you shouldn't do those things. That that's not what we're saying. We believe that it is your responsibility to shoot your children like an arrow into destiny. But when you are in a situation where you do for your kids at the detriment of doing the things that you know God is telling you to do, you can get your kid to every activity but you too busy to do a devotional. You can pay for every activity your kid need to be in, but you can't be faithful as a giver. You don't realize it, but that's idolatry. And then what happens is, let let me tell you what I believe. I believe that when we partner with God in our obedience, the word, our finances, our time, that the Lord will literally tell you about a trap set for your kids before the traps show up. He'll, he'll set you up to win. I, listen, I, he will set you up to win. You're, you're trying to do everything to give your kid the best scenario except putting God in first place to be able to talk to you about your kids. Literally, 
Taylor was at college last year. I was walking through the house and the Lord showed me the image of a guy. Said, this guy is interested in her and he is sent to destroy her life. She had never mentioned him. I text her and said, the Lord just showed me this is what he looks like. She was like, oh my God. That's, see, that's, that, that's why I keep God first. Because if I'm just left to my discernment, what I know is that anybody can show up and look real good when they come to meet the parents. Anybody can look good. Anybody with any sense go come and talk right and say the right stuff. But the, the reason that I keep God first is because when somebody show up in my kid's life, when, when a friend shows up, I want to be able to hear the Lord say, they got to go. They got to go. But I can't do that if I care more about getting my kids to activities than I do about hearing to, from the God to know if they should even be in those activities. So we want to live a surrendered life because people who live a surrendered life live a successful life. The parents, the Lord will give wants to give you the competitive edge against the strategies against your kids. He wants to give you a competitive edge. My kids laugh at me all the time. Literally, somebody will walk through the door in our house and I will say to Elwin, they can't come back. They think I'm exaggerating, but there's never been a time that I said that about a person and then what I perceived about them did not manifest and it's not because I'm so smart. It's because I'm constantly remembering that these kids, they are alone. The, these kids not really mine. They really belong to the Lord. I'm just, my job is to steward them. My job, they're not your, she not your kid. The Lord entrusted her, you to her. So who better to partner with than God? This is so important. Let's just pray over, we gonna pray over the parents before we pray over the kids, all right? Let's just pray over the parents. If you know that you are a parent who needs to keep things in right place regarding your kids, just lift your hand up. Want to give them everything, want to do everything. I get it. That's what parents want to do. Do you know that a godly parent is doing more than teaching your kids the Ten Commandments? That a godly parent is teaching your kids to discern and walk through life? It's, it's teaching your kids to pray over people who come in their life, to pray over whether they should go to a certain party, whether they should be in a certain activity. It's teaching them how to hear from God for themselves. Amen. Amen. And then you know that it's hard for you to teach them to hear from God for themselves if you don't hear from God. Let's just pray as over, as over as, us as parents. Father, we recognize that every child that you have given us is a gift, but it is also a trust and that you expect us to partner with you to raise them to produce who you created them to be so father god first of all we repent for any fear we have over parenting we trust you to help us parent we trust you to preserve their lives we trust you for wisdom and instruction in the direction that they should go. 
And Father God, we repent for in any area that we have allowed fear to manipulate our decision making. Father God, we thank you for giving us your discernment about who our kids are called to be. Father, we also repent for any time we've tried to make our kids be who we think they should be instead of who you've created them to be. Help us to remember that we didn't make them, you did. Teach us how to raise them without breaking them. Teach us how to recognize their natural giftings and their natural abilities and to shoot them as arrows in the right place. Teach us not to teach them to live for performance. Help us to make sure that we teach them that our love for them is unconditional, whether they are first in anything, whether they ever make all A's. Help us to disconnect what they do with who they are. And Lord, we give our children back to you. And so now we pray for our children. We lift them up to you this morning. We call them blessed of the Lord. Father, we thank you for each unique personality, each divine gifting, each purpose and destiny. And we plead the blood and cancel every assignment over every one of our children. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we pray over their friends in the name of Jesus. And we pray that you would illuminate any friendship that should not be there in the name of Jesus. That you would give us clear, focused, laser vision, God. Father God, we pray even in advance for their spouses in the name of Jesus. Even for the babies, we pray for their spouses, God. We pray that you are raising up their spouses even now and you are protecting their spouses so when they meet, they aren't meeting a broken person in the name of Jesus. We thank you for beautiful, powerful unions, God, that will glorify and strengthen you. We thank you that our children will go further, leap faster, run higher, I mean, leap higher, run faster than we ever imagined in the name of Jesus. We thank you that our children have a heart for you because we help them develop it. We thank you that we teach them more about being grateful and being kind and generous other than Thanksgiving and Christmas. Father, we thank you that for anything in our life that needs to be broken and rearranged in how we parent. We are open to your parenting instructions and we call our families blessed In the name of Jesus. Come on and give the Lord a hand clap of praise. We're going to send our kids out to Children's Church. Praise team, you guys did did a great job this morning. That light is out. Hey, Bess. Is these lights out or just off? How y'all doing this morning? Listen, guys, it's just so, so important that you keep your heart tender toward the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. You got to keep your heart tender toward the Lord. And I really, really want to encourage you to make sure that you remain a person who loves the word. A person who gives attention to the word of God. Because the word of God is literally the thing that's going to anchor your life. Amen? And we all want to live the best life that we possibly can, right? 
I'm going to talk to you because Pastor Elman has been talking to us about how to prepare for this next season that we're in. And um, we really know where we're headed, where we believe the Lord is calling us to teach to you guys. And we just want you to have the best life that you can have um, because we believe that that is the will of God for your life. John 10 and 10 can say that he came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And I believe that part of living an abundant life is having wisdom and discernment. And so I want to talk to you this morning. Um, and, and the title that I want to talk to you from is, Do You Know What Time It Is? Do you know what time it is? And I think that that's just such an important message. Do you know what time it is? Do you know what time it is globally? Do you know what time it is um, in your community? Do you know what time it is in the ministry? Do you know what, a time, what time it is in your family? Do you know what time it is in your own individual life? Because I believe that if you don't know that, then it is quite possible that you can be a good person doing the right thing at the wrong time. Right? Anybody ever done the right thing at the wrong time? Yeah. And you know there's nothing more frustrating than doing the right thing at the wrong time because your intention was to do the right thing. Nothing probably, I mean, at least if you do the wrong thing and it go bad, you expected it to go bad because you knew you was doing the wrong thing, right? But there is nothing worse than trying to do the right thing and it's at the wrong time and then it all blows up. And so I'm going to talk to you guys um, this morning about Particularly, you can apply to any area, but I'm going to be talking about it in the terms of two areas, which is relationships and money. And we're going to talk a lot about relationships and money in the next quarter because those are the things that destroy families. Those are the things people get divorced because of relationship issues. People get divorced over money issues, pretty much. You go, well, Pashon, people can have, get divorced over sex issues. Well, sex issues are the result of relationship issues, right? You fix relationship, sex works out. All right. So we um, are, so think about this. You know, the Bible says to everything there is a season and a time. So it is important for you to know both the season and the time. So think about this. This is not just on a individual level it's also on a global level and so here was the example that I thought of immediately that just makes sense so Kedron here Kedron and Tamisha just had a baby and they are a part of this corporate body right and this is their season and people in their age group time to have babies it ain't my season for that like that's not my season so now, think about this. So if I'm over here trying to do what they're trying to do, or they're over here doing what I'm, tr what I'm trying to do, then somebody's going to be frustrated because we're in a different season. You know, all of you people with little bitty kids, you're at the season where you still have to consider them if you want to go out on Friday night. Well, I got teenagers. All I just need is for somebody to be home. And I can make that happen. So it's important for you to know the time and the season you are in. What time is it? What season is it? People who are in college, they are in a different season. People who are in their 20s and married are in a different season than people who are in their 20s and singles. People who are in their 30s with kids are in a different season than people in their 40s with kids. People with little kids are in a different season than people with older kids. And it's so important for you to know your season. 
Now let's look at 1 Chronicles 12 and 32. So even though Kedron and I are in a different season in terms of kids, we're both in the season of taking care of our marriage. See that? So we're in a very different season in terms of kids. Because I'm not waking up in the middle of the night unless somebody's sick. And if they're sick, my first thing is like, did you make your faith confession? Because everybody can read. Everybody can read their faith confession. If somebody like I'm sick, I think I'm going to throw up, I might go to the bathroom. Do not throw up on the floor. That's not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting up yet. I'm not, I'm not, I, need, I need to know how serious it is. Kedra's in the season where he can't say, did you read your faith confession? Change your own diaper. We tired. He got to get up. But we're both in the season where we have to take care of our marriages because if we don't, we're going to have a mess later on. So that's why it's important. So it says, other sons of Issachar who had the understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. That's all of that verse I want to talk about. To have the understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. So if you don't have the understanding of what time it is, then you are going to end up potentially going through some hard times that you don't necessarily have to go through the hard times. So let's go back to babies. I'll give you a great example. So pretty much anybody who's had a baby tells a new new parents this right here. When the baby sleep, you sleep. When the baby sleep, you sleep. But I'm telling you, it's always some new parents that, when the, who, that don't listen. When the baby sleep, they got to look at the baby. When the baby sleep, they trying to clean up. But they could avoid some of the sleep deprivation that they have later on if they just took the instructions that said, when the baby sleep, you sleep. That is where the wisdom of someone else's season can help you avoid heartache in your own season. Now, but here's the problem. That most of us, and I'm going to use new mothers because new mothers are the best at this, but everybody does this. The interesting thing about a lot of new mothers is that when they have a baby, they act like they're the first. So they act like nobody else has ever had a baby before in their life. And now they even judging whether their mother who got them to be here, know what they talking about. And so as a result, because they have read all these books, oftentimes from experts who do not have children, they ignore the wisdom of people who are trying to help make the journey easier for them, right? Now, the truth of it is that it's funny about new mothers because everybody's seen it. Everybody's seen it with new mothers. But the question is, where is it in your time and your season that you won't take advice from somebody who's walked out what you walked out, and then now you're having to go through something that you don't need to go through because you're not teachable? Because you think that your new baby is so special that all the stuff that worked for all the other new babies will not work for your new baby. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, we say that because we laugh, because, you know, like, like, I'm old school. Like, if you bring your baby to my house, 
Don't be worrying me about your baby. If you don't think I can take care of your little baby, keep your little baby at the house. Take your baby with you. But you, what you're not going to do is be calling me all the time, asking me, did I change their diaper? Nope, I didn't. I didn't change it. Come get them. You're not going to worry me with your little kid because I got five kids and I've done this pretty well. But what I've noticed about new mothers, which translate, insert, whatever, insert yourself in the newness of it, right, is that when, you, when, when it's a new season for you, you often think you have mastery over something you know nothing about. This is the reason that it's very difficult to get newlyweds to take real advice about marriage. Because you know what it's like when you get married. Especially if you ain't lived together before. And you ain't got no kids. And you just, I mean, especially like if you just merge in life. And like people trying to talk to you about how you go work through your conflicts. Girl, we ain't gonna have no conflicts. All right. Okay, Cletus. Keep living. And it's funny because I can remember that my grandmother when we would be talking about how stuff would go, what's going to be, my grandma would be in the kitchen cooking and she'd just look up and say, keep living. Because really what she was trying to say is that you think you know something about something that you don't know anything about. And if you would allow somebody to help you, they could help you. So if, you know, so we don't have, we only have one kid in college. We don't have any kids that are married right? But people who have kids with Mary can get married, they can give us some advice about how to navigate that space to make sure that we stay in the right place. But if we're not, te- ask your neighbor, say, are you teachable? See, because even if the designs are around you, if you're not teachable, can't nobody help you. And so do you know the times and the seasons? Do you know Proverbs 4 and 7? Do you know the times and the seasons? Because you know what the truth of it is, is that, you know, to all you new mothers um, who act this way, you actually get on our nerves. You actually really get on our nerves. You're not the only person who's ever had a baby. It's been millions and billions of babies born before you. You're not the only person who know that the bottle need to be clean. We know that the milk need to be warmed up. We know how to change a diaper. This is new to you. It ain't new to us. And so just make sure that you are not a, um, one of those new mothers in the areas of your life. Make sure that when someone is trying to give you information about, so here's, so here's the thing for new parents. So pretty much anybody who's been married any length of time, who has a happy marriage, also has a date night. Yes? Because date nights matter, right? Date nights matter. One of the most interesting things to me is that you'll be trying to explain to people with young couples, young kids, why they need a date night. They got 20, 11 million excuses about why they can't have a date night. But then here's what's interesting, right? So they don't have a date night, and all they do is focus on the baby. And then it never fails that then somebody is now upset that they're not getting their nighttime needs met, and they're not getting their nighttime needs met because they can't take the instruction about how important a date night is because nobody wants to do it with you if all you're talking about is Blue's Clues. I'm just trying to help you. <laughs> if all your conversation is about what's on Nick Jr. and, 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 and what the baby did and, oh, the baby, the baby, oh, okay. 
I'm just telling you. So then people who have been married for a while will come in and they will say, guys, you need to preserve your marriage. You need to preserve your intimacy. You need to have a date night. You need to make time for a date night. And they will say, well, we don't really have time for a date night. This is my favorite one. We don't really have anybody to watch our kid. Look around. You got all these people and you ain't got nobody to watch your kid. But you got the new parent syndrome. And so can't nobody help you. So then you have months and months and months of blues clues, no intimacy. The baby is everything. People not getting their needs met. And then you wake up one day in a crisis and you don't understand how you got there because you didn't discern the times and you didn't take wise counsel. The Bible says that there is safety in the multitude of counsel. So if I'm not willing to listen, then I can't expect to be successful. Because other people know. Like, it's funny, because, like, you'll see people, like, because, you know, y'all know we got a lot of kids, right? So I see people, and they're doing stuff with their kids. I'm like, that's a bad move. Mm, you should stop that. I know you think it's cute that they don't listen to you now, but they go get big. I know, I, I, I know you think that's cute now. That, that's not going to be cute in a few years. Oh, you know, oh. Then like three years later, like, my kid don't listen. See, because we tried to tell you that when they were little, that you had to teach your kid to sit down. Teach your kid to sit down. Listen, we're not old school church, so we don't expect kids to sit like we had to sit growing up. But anybody who went to church growing up, did you not learn to sit fast? Did you not learn to sit a long time? Did you not learn how to maintain your behind in a seat? No matter, you might have drew on 55 programs, but you didn't get up out that seat. And you know what else? Your mama didn't even sit by you. Your mama was in a choir stand, baby. And your mama would let you sit with your friends. But if your mama had to look from the preacher over there, everything in life changed. So how your kids smart enough to work an iPad, but they can't sit for 20 minutes? That ain't your kid. That's you. Amen. I'm just talking about the certain times. I'm talking about how we grow up, how we operate in the family, how we learn the lessons, all this stuff. Edwin said that he was on a plane coming back the other week. He said that it was a mother and she had two little boys. She said the oldest little boy, he was wearing the youngest little boy out. You know, just picking at him, making him cry. There was a mother, a grandmother, two kids. Edwin said it was the mother, the little boy, the oldest boy, and the grandmother was in the aisle over here, right? She said, he said after about 30 minutes in the ride, she looked at her daughter and she said, they act the fool because you act the fool. Hand me that boy. And when the boy got over there, she looked at him. She said, you sit your behind down in this seat and don't you get up until this plane land. She's, Edwin said, the mom was crying, <laughs> the little boy was crying, <laughs> and the little boy who had got picked on was looking at his grandma like, yeah. <laughs> so, it's like this ability, if we're going to build strong relationships, because I'm not just talking about marriage, if we're going to build strong relationships, like here's the reality. If your kids won't mind you when you're three, what you think you're going to get them to do at 13? What you going to get them to do at 16? 
You, 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 get, you get that fear of God when they three. Because your kids, and, and, and I'm going to say this to you particularly for you who are mothers, that you who are mothers, you should not have to ask the father to help you discipline the kid. Amen. You just shouldn't. Man, if, if we ever call strict, they calling him. They like, please get mama. Please get mama. Because, because kids very early, even before they can articulate it, understand who's in control. They understand real quickly who's in control. The worst mistake a mother can make is to put all the discipline on the father. Because then kids just push the limit till the daddy show up. So then you have to learn. I know that's your, I know that's your boo-boo. They so cute. They not going to be cute when they doing it when they 13, I'm telling you. It's not going to be cute. And especially those of you who are smaller women, that your kids probably going to be bigger than you, you need to learn to stand your ground early. So I'm like, Pastor John, train a child up in the way that he or she should go so when they are old, they will not depart from it. That's not just fun and games and activities. That is the ability that when I give you an instruction, I expect you to follow it. Not only do I expect my kids to follow my instructions, I expect them to follow your instructions. If you tell my kid to turn around and she talking too much, she best turn around and stop talking. Now, she may talk about you in her mind, but she better not open her mouth and talk about you. Because if she does... And I find out, I'm talking about, like, why does this matter? Because you can't have a community. So, because here's the problem. We can't build community if you don't discipline your kid because then when somebody else does, you go get offended. You, you, we, not, we can't build community if nobody can tell your kid to stop because your kid is so fragile, so precious, so beautiful, so blue-eyed, so brown-eyed, so curly-haired, so straight-haired, so cute that no one can say anything to them. We can't build community. And so then what happens over time is that you'll see kids that are getting imparted into by the community because their parents have said it is acceptable for you to engage with my kids and they will get lessons and investments that kids who cannot be imparted into cannot because you go get offended. Proverbs 4 and 7. Because everybody ain't out to get your kids. Everybody's not out to get to your kids. Like, why would you let your kids go to children's church if, if the people in children's can't, church can't discipline them? Why would you let your kid go to church, children's church and act ignorant every week? Because, like, if, if, if you tell me that my kid act crazy in children's church, we'll be back next week. I bet it'll be better. It'll be better next week. I got kids in high school. Sometimes I'm in their school, I text them, I say, I'm in your building, don't let me catch you slipping. I'm actually in their building. 
Now, I'm not always in their building to see them. Sometimes I'm in their building for other reasons. But whenever I'm in their building, I'm like, hey, I'm at your school. Don't let me catch you slipping. I, I go to classroom sometime. I look in. I look in the classroom door. I want to see what's happening. I go when kids are in, at lunch. I want to see what's happening. I want to see what's happening on the playground because ultimately, I, go, I want to know my kids. See, here's the thing. This is what my grandma used to say. You got to know your own kids. You got to know your own kids. And you got to know what your kids are capable of and what they're not capable of. But if you only see them in the setting with you, you may not know what they're capable of. So you got to put them in a certain situation. Like, I know my kids. Like, for real, I know my kids. Listen, truth. Teacher called me. She said, Jordan punched a boy in the stomach. I said, what'd he do? Because I know Jordan. I know Jordan. Jordan ain't say nothing to nobody. She stay in her own little space. So if she punched somebody in the stomach, he did. she said, he pushed her out the line. I said, why are you calling me? I said, I'm not sure why you calling me. I said, so he pushed her and she punched him in the stomach. Well, he fell down and he started crying. I said, then tell him, don't touch her again. Now, I got a couple of other kids that if the teacher called me and tell me they hit somebody, I'm like, okay, what happened? Let me talk to them. Because I don't necessarily know. I need to hear the facts of the scenario of how it went down. And I got one kid that if they say they hit first, I'm like, yeah, I'll just be there. I'm on my way. I'm on my way. But I'm not up there hollering at them people, talking about, no, 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 no. They didn't hit first. Yeah, they did. They did. They hit first. How many days is that? Like, what we going to do? <laughs> but you got to know your own kids, and you got to be able to love them and also train them and know them. And you got to understand that even kids who are feisty, even kids who got a big mouth, whatever it is, that God made them that way. So it becomes your responsibility to train that thing to be appropriate, not to crush it. So you got a smart mouth kid. Well, but who in here got a smart mouth kid? No, I want to see your hands. Everybody in here with a smart mouth kid got a smart mouth. All y'all got a smart mouth. The Bible says everything reproduces after its own kind. Tina, are you saying you ain't got a smart mouth? It's you too. And see, you don't even know. It may be sparky, but it's you too. And you so slick with it, you don't even know you got a smart mouth. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. You quiet until engaged. I saw you at the um, space table. I, I, I went, when we all went up there at the Jones Center, you weren't playing, but you was talking, which is my point. <laughs> all I'm saying is this, and I don't even know if this is the kind of audio or video you can share with her, but what I'm saying is, is that, listen, you got to know yourself. So when my kids be popping off, I'm like, 
I just want to teach you how to pop off in an appropriate place. I want you to understand that there are some people who will allow you to pop off with them, but I'm old school. If you pop off with me, I might hit you in the mouth before I think about it. I didn't mean to hit you in the mouth. What happened is, is that you popped off and it was a reflex, and before I knew it, then you like, oh my God, what happened? You popped off. So you got to pause on your pop off. You got to stand further back from me. <laughs> You got to stand further back. You got to get, if you think you go engage smart with me, you should not be in a place you can't move fast. Because that's, that, that's, that's how I was raised. Kids who ask a lot of questions, what would you rather them be, dumb? Don't ask no questions, don't care nothing about nobody? Because if they don't ask you questions, they're not going to ask their friends questions. So then when their friends ask them to do something, they're not going to say, well, what's in this? They just go, go, yeah, let's drink it. All right, you know. And then you're like, well, why, why you don't ask any questions? Because you shut them down from asking questions because the questions get on your nerves. Everything reproduces after its own kind. Everything reproduces after its own kind. Your kids are a reflection of you. Now, they, may, they mixed with somebody else. So they may be a reflection of two people, but you looking at your kid, watching them do what they do, and you know exactly, tell me, I don't know where they got that from. You know exactly where they got it from. So then here's the wisdom. You parent in a way that doesn't break it. You think about the things that your parents potentially did to you that broke you, and you don't do that. And you find a way to parent. But you can't do that if you don't understand the times and the seasons. You, you, you can't do that if you don't have a clear time, a clear season is. So you teach your kids to obey you when you're, they're small, so that when they're older and they're bigger and they're stronger, they still understand that obedience is a requirement. All right, let's keep going. So, in all thy getting, get an understanding. What do you know about parenting? I know you got kids, but what do you know about parenting? Who have you talked to? And who you talk to has to do a lot with what kind of kids you have. For example, one of my kids is a lot like Edwin. So I spend a lot of time talking to Edwin's mother about how to negotiate with that kid. Because I, because Edwin was a kid that you could not whoop him or spank him into obedience. Basically, if he was going to do something, he was going to do it. He'd just be like, well, they, he literally, he would say, they ain't going to kill me. <laughs> like, I don't even understand a scenario like that. I'm like, I was the kid who was like, this will get you a whooping? Oh, never mind. Let me find something else to do. <laughs> like, like this will get you a whooping? He was the kid who was like, this will get you a whooping? Like, how many? Like, will my mama and my daddy whoop me? Will my mama, my daddy, and my grandma whoop me? Oh, my, just my mama go whoop me? Oh, just my daddy? Oh, I'm in. So as a result, I have to talk to Edwin's mother about how to parent a kid when you feel like spanking is what you need to do, but spanking isn't doing it. And she gave me some very creative solutions. She said she wished she had known them when Edwin was little, but she didn't. She learned them later. The other thing, those of you who have multiple kids, you need to understand that every kid is different. They're all different. Say different. And anybody who has a sibling knows that the thing that you hate is to be compared to your sibling. Who hates to be compared to their sibling? 
I wish you would be like so-and-so. How can I? I am not so-and-so. Nobody wants to be compared to somebody else. So you have kids and they're different and they have similarities, but they also have differences. So then you have to know how to parent more than one type of kid. You got to know how to parent the type of kid who just takes your advice, does what you says, and moves on. You got to know how to parent the kid who go push back on everything. You got to know how to parent the the passive-aggressive kid, the kid who cry about everything. You got to know, and then you got to do it without comparing them to other people. Nobody wants to be compared to anybody else. Nobody does. Nobody wants to be compared to anybody else, especially in a negative way. Why are you not good at math like your sister? Because I'm not my sister. That just makes good sense, right? Why are you not as athletic as so-and-so? Because I'm not them. So we want to be careful that we don't, because a lot of times people, in, even in this room, you have some injuries because of some comparisons. You have some injuries because of some bad parenting strategies and stuff. So my, uh, my overall parenting strategy is to look at what my parents did really well and keep that and to get rid of the stuff they didn't do well. So you look at the stuff that they did really well and then you throw away the other stuff, right? So let's keep going. Is this making sense? So what are you sowing into your life? What are you sowing into your children? We're going to look at Galatians 6, 7 through 9. What are you sowing into your children? What are you sowing into your spouse? What are you sowing into your friendships? What are you sowing into your finances? What are you sowing? We're going to look at the scripture and then we're going to talk about it. Galatians 6, 7 through 9. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man sowed, that will he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to his spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. So think about this. Hold on. Go back to verse 8. Um, it says, who who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. Another word for corruption is destruction. You know, like when you have a corrupted file or corrupted dish. Basically, it means that it says that if you sow this way, you know, once you get a corrupted, a corrupted disc, you lose the stuff that's on it. So it says that if you sow to your flesh, you're going to face some destruction, right? Okay, go to verse 9 now. Thank you. And it says, and let us not grow weary in well-doing, for it is due season we shall reap. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Go back to verse um, 7. So let's look at this. He says, all right. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Right. Now, we typically only hear about that scripture in terms of money and giving at church. Right. But I want to take it further and go back to what I told you, that everything reproduces after its own kind. Right. So if I don't sow obedience into my kids, I'm not going to harvest it. If I don't sow teaching my kids how to clean up, I'm not going to harvest it. He said, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Literally what he's saying is that you cannot sow neglect into your marriage and reap an amazing marriage. He said, that's just the principle. You can't neglect your spouse and then think that you're going to end up with a great marriage. No matter how good you think the cause is, you can't be like, oh, well, you know what? We haven't connected because the kids got all these activities and all of this different stuff. And then think that you're going to reap a marriage where when they see you, they get butterflies and they glad you home. 
Because if you engage with them like a roommate, just getting everybody where they need to know to go, then what you go end up with living is living in a roommate situation. Then you're like, how do we get here? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. You're going to reap whatever you sow. And he that sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. I want to present it to you like this. So um, I got five kids, and I'll be honest, like, I'm kind of tired of parenting, okay? I'm 44. I don't know how people have kids when they fit and stuff. I'm tired. <laughs> and so literally sometimes when Canaan is getting, doing something because she's the baby, right, I just be like, I do not want to parent anymore. I really just want to say, do whatever you want to do. Just don't kill nobody. It's really what I want to say sometimes. And some of y'all won't tell the truth that that's how you feel. But it's like, listen, especially this time of year, it's Christmas. At at school, they got every darn Christmas program that you can have. We got to have a a Christmas program, a Christmas carol, a Christmas opera, a Christmas. It's like, and like every night they just got you up there wanting something. You got multiple kids. So literally, this is the truth. By the time we get to this time of the year, it's so hard for me to care. Like, I know I should care, but I have to reach care up deep on the inside of me. This is true. You got to know yourself so you know. So, you know. so Elm has been on tail for the last two weeks. Last week, Tamara walked in. I said, I'm tagging out of parenting. I'm tagging you in. You got this for the rest of the night. I went in my room. I closed my door and sat on the bed. She worked it all out. You can do that if you got other people to tag out with. You can't do that if it's just you. So I couldn't tag out till Tamara showed up. So you can't just be like, oh, I'm tired. I'm tired of helping them with their spelling words. I don't care if they can't spell. And then when they get to the 11th grade, they can't spell nothing because you was tired of helping them with their spelling. No, I'm not. You, but you're laughing, but you know it's the truth. So math is easy for you. Math isn't easy for them. So you tag out by simply giving them the answers instead of getting them a tutor. You can afford to get them basketball lessons, but you can't afford to get them a tutor for math. And then in the eighth grade, they can't do well in math. And then you like, I don't understand. You can't tag out and expect good results. Parenting and marriage is for grown folks. It is hard work. It is hard work. It is the reason that it is hard for me to rejoice for a young woman who gets pregnant out of wedlock. I'm like, y'all all excited about this baby, but what I understand is that she is in for something that she can't even imagine that she's in for because you really need four people to parent a kid, not two. Because parenting is hard work. So parenting is hard work and marriage is hard work, which means that if you sow to your flesh, meaning you say, there's a principle that says the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Typically, that means your kids get the oil, your spouse gets neglected. Because you expect your spouse to be mature. You expect your spouse to understand that y'all got stuff to do. You expect your spouse. It's hard. I mean, you got a crying kid. You got a kid who need help in math. You got a, a spouse who want 10 minutes uninterrupted. The squeaky wheel typically gets the old. He says, but if you do this and you sow this to your marriage, you're going to reap destruction. 
You got to take care of your marriage, which means you have to plan how you're going to connect. You got to plan how you're going to connect. The more kids you got, the more activities you have, you have to plan how you're going to connect. And then you have to honor the commitment to connect the same way you do your kids' activities. Because we get our kids to them little activities. You so tired, but you still up there at that practice. You driving people all across town, but you can't remember to pick one day a week to have lunch with your spouse. If you sow to your flesh, you go reap corruption. And then you'll say, how did we get here? And here's what I've learned. By the time people say, how did we get here? You got a pattern of doing this. This wasn't new. This was years of somebody feeling neglected, somebody not feeling valued, somebody not feeling like the other person was as into the relationship as they were. You got to learn how to pay attention to the warning signs. Like married people, if your spouse says something like, I feel like you pay more attention to the kids, uh, you better listen. They're telling you how they feel. And you can disregard it, but if you disregard it, you're going to reap corruption. What does that mean? That means that sometimes we got to get up earlier. Sometimes we got to stay up later. Young, young people, that means young, those of you who got young parents, like it's real, real simple. So you got people who got kids. You could all help each other out. So you could be like, okay, on this weekend, this couple is going to go out on Friday night and, and so-and-so go keep all the kids. And on Saturday night, the other people go go out and they go keep all the kids. But it's got to be important enough to do. Or you could take some of these college students here who would probably do it for $20 and a pizza because they hungry and they broke. <laughs> Chase got his hand raised. They got their hand raised. <laughs> to be like, okay, we're going to get together. We're going to go out. We're going to do that. That stuff matters. Then you got to have some rules about connection. One of Pastor Ellen and our rules about connection is that when we go out on a date, we don't talk about our kids. And some of you wouldn't have nothing to talk about if you didn't talk about your kids. You don't talk about your oh, you. Why did we go out to be away from the kids to talk about the kids? That's not connection with each other. Because in the beginning, when you were dating, you talked to each other. You talked about dreams. You talked about desires. You thought you wanted to what you want to accomplish. Now, every dinner, you're talking about, well, you know, they got such and such class. Can you get them from this? Can you do this? Can you do that? How what we go to? Like, that is not how people stay happily married. Amen. Let's keep going. Amen. Ouch, light bulb. Do better. All right. Verse 9. We almost done. It says, and let us not grow weary in well-doing. Okay? So, all you do in life is move from season to season. You can't get weary in the season. There's a season for everything. There's a season for little kids who wake up in the middle of the night and cry, but this too shall pass. There is a season for little kids who cannot drive themselves anywhere and need you to actually go into gymnastics lessons with them. There, that season passes. 
There's a season for everything, but you got to protect your relationships in the season. And there can be nothing worse than a spouse who feels like the kids have been elevated to the position of the spouse. Think about that. Don't think about what you think your spouse is doing to you. Think about what you're doing to your spouse. When's the last, all this stuff that you want to happen in your relationship, when's the last time you did it? When's the last time you did it? I mean, I'm not trying to be funny, but you want her to strip. When the last time you stripped? Did you strip? <laughs> I mean, you want her to come, you want her to come in? Wait, wait, what, what, what you got? What you got? What, what, I mean, what? Model what you want. You don't know what to do? What's that move? What's that movie that can? What's that movie that, um, you know, where the guys be dancing, you know, huh? Magic Mike. Go watch you some Magic Mike as a research project. And show up with what you want. <laughs> no, y'all laughing, but I'm telling you the stuff, the truth that keep you. You want somebody to show up sexy, but you, your legs ashy. You ain't shaved. What? Well, that ain't sexy. You got sports center on. How much you want to do it? No. All right. All right. Let, let, let's keep going. So I want to use this. Um, are y'all are y'all learning anything today? You gotta take care of your relationships. And you gotta understand that it's seasons. You know, like the desire that people have when they're 20 years old and no responsibility, desire is different at 30 when it's a bunch of little kids. And desire is different at 40 for men and women. And if you don't understand that, that's why you need to have more conversations about something because one of the things that people don't realize is that for most women in their 40s, they reach their sexual peak. That is the time for you to be bringing your A game because the 40s are ready. But you ashy. Really, it looks like this. If you look at it biologically, it looks like this. In the 20s, their people are pretty much equal. In the 30s, men have a greater desire, so you got to work a little harder, right? In the 40s, women got a greater desire, but the truth of it is, is that most women can live without sex longer than most men can. So I'm like, dude, if you want to be having all this sex, show up. Like John P.K. say, show up. Show up on time. Show up fresh. You ate them sour cream and onion chips and came and got in the bed. Ain't nobody want to kiss you. church because people in church get divorced listen I'm telling you this just the truth if your kids are old enough to have had that sick that that talk at the at the school in the fifth grade they old enough no not to knock on that door you say stuff to them like that you say we about to close this door 
If you come in, you might get scarred for life. You better stay on the other side of that door. Because once your kid, your kids ain't even talking to you, no way. Go in the room, lock the door, turn the music on, make everybody happy. Because your kids ain't paying you no attention, no way. You the one knows he need to be out there knowing everything that's going on. I'm trying to help us. Because I think that in 2017, we need to be in good health. We need to love the Lord. We need to have good money. We need to have a good relationship with our kids. We need to have good sex because ain't nothing worse than having friends who ain't having good sex because then they always in a bad mood because they're not having good sex. And I'm telling you, this is just the truth. Good sex allows you to fix most other stuff. Now, if you ain't married, you should not be having sex at all. I'm just telling you, if you're not married, I don't care. I don't, I, I don't, I'm old school. I believe the Bible. If you ain't married, you ought not be having sex. If you can live together, you can get married. Now, I just believe it because it's what the biblical says, okay? We're saving for a wedding. Great. Go to the justice of the peace or to our house. Get married. And you ain't got to tell nobody. But the Lord will know that you ain't fornicating when you laid up rubbing on each other. Because it's still fornication even if you live with the person. It ain't fornication. It ain't not fornication because it ain't a random that you picked up. If you're not married, it's fornication. And you go grow up one day and you ain't going to want your kids to be shacking. They're going to be like, Mama, you were shacking. And then you're going to be shamed, want to slap them in the mouth, but you were shacking. All right, okay. Listen, let me move on because y'all, you know, y'all will get funny. Y'all will get funny and won't come to church next Sunday. So let me, let me go on. Proverbs 6 and 6. Are you an ant or a grasshopper? Now, I'm, I'm really talking about in your marriage. Do you store up for the future? In your relationships, do you store up for the future? See, here's the thing you got to understand about relationships. Relationships trade on a currency. It's a currency of give and take, right? So one of the reasons that you should practice not being a grudge holder is because you're going to mess up. You're going to mess up. So you should practice being a person who forgives with your spouse because you're going to mess up. Have y'all ever heard my story about how I went off on pastel? About the light bill? No. We're young, Mary, and he's in grad school. I'm in law school. And I had been talking to him about how busy he was and if he needed to go, did he need me to run a light bill by? No, I got it. Because, you know, back then he wanted no help. He's like Ike Turner. And so um, he didn't want no help. And so I get home with, with Taylor, and lo and behold, the lights are off. And it is 6 o'clock, and it is not daylight savings time. So he was over there at the grad school. I went right on over to the grad school because I didn't know no better. And I didn't knock on the door. I just looked in the window until somebody saw me. And then they pointed to him because he was the only black person. They assumed he was with me. (laughs) He came out. Man, I let him have it. I went off. I went off. 
how could you, how could you forget to pay the light bill? Like, what kind of man treat his kid, family? We out here in the cold. No, listen, he tried, he like, listen, babe, I'll put you in a hotel. I don't want no hotel room. I want to go to my house. I got stuff to do. Listen, I just acted a plum fool. So he came home, got the lights turned back on, decided that I probably could do a better job of paying the bills because I didn't maybe have as much to do as he was doing. It wasn't three weeks before I got something cut off. <laughs> it wasn't three weeks. I was so shame. I just was, because I knew I had acted up. Listen, my grandma, she was still lying, and she had tried to talk to me. She said, now, Sean, she said, you know Edwin is a good, he just forgot it's not that big a deal. I was like, I'm going to come home. If he can't pay these bills, I'm going to come home. Like, listen, I, cl I clowned, okay? Three weeks later. I get like two things cut off, like the cable and the water. I like forget. I don't go by because I forgot that I'm paying the bills now, right? When he came home, he just said, it's okay, babe. People make mistakes. How can I help you? <laughs> you know what I learned that day? I learned that you should be gracious because if you're in a relationship, you go mess up. Like, he really could have let me have it, and rightfully so, because I had, I mean, I'm not ashamed to say I acted ignorant. But he did. He was just like, people make mistakes. How can I help you? And after that, we inserted the checks and balances to make sure that things got paid. You need to practice being gracious. Some of you got a running log of everything your spouse has done, but you don't remember nothing you did. You know all the times they didn't come through for you. What about the times you didn't come through? You know all the times. You, you can't remember all the times they said yes to sex, but you got a mark in your calendar for all the times they said no. You can't remember all the times that he helped in the kitchen, but you can remember all the times he didn't. If you live long enough, you're going to blow it. So practice being grateful. So be like the ant. Go to the ant, you slugger. Consider her ways and be wise. The ant stores up for the future. Are you filling your spouse's love tank for the future? Because you are going to have some busy seasons and some seasons where somebody travels and some seasons where somebody is sick. What are you doing in the regular days to make sure that you can make it through those seasons? How are you investing in your love to make sure that it lasts? I mean, you want this person to, be, to still have butterflies for you? Well, do you still have butterflies for them? Do you even cultivate it? Consider the end. So there's a parable. I'm not going to get into it today. I'll probably teach it next week. But it's Matthew 25, 1 through 13. It's about the five wise virgins and the five foolish virgins. And it talks about how the five virgins prepared. Five of them prepared. Five of them did. Because five of them prepared, they were ready when the opportunity showed up. And the context is about Jesus. But you can translate it to any area of your life. That if you prepare, you'll be ready when the opportunity shows up. The five that didn't, the Bible calls them foolish. The, um, the words for foolish are dull and stupid. So I want to give you five characteristics of dull and stupid people so if you see yourself, you can change, and then we'll be done. Tell your neighbor, say, you got to protect your relationships. 
You got to protect your love. You do. You got to protect your love. It's people in here, you hug your kids every day, but you don't hug your spouse every day. I love it. He just reached over and hugged his wife. You hug your kids every day, but you don't hug your spouse. You, you, you make sure your kids know you love them, but you don't make sure your spouse knows you love them. Those things are important. You got to keep each other's love tank filled. I'm not even talking about for a potential love affair. I'm talking about for the potential of your heart just getting hard and you deciding that you just don't like that person anymore because you feel so neglected by how they have treated you. So these five things, well, before I do the five things, because the five things are going to be the last thing, don't forget your um, thing for Pastor Edwin for the first, all right? We record, and I was going to say more, but then he might listen to it. So first, don't forget. Um, so you got to store up because life is going to happen. So if I store up forgiveness, then hopefully you remember that I was forgiving when you messed up. If I let go of the grudge, then hopefully when you have an opportunity to hold a grudge, you let go of the grudge. I have to invest in my relationship and I can't get weary in well-doing. I also have to understand that whatever bad habits I created in my marriage or whatever bad habits I created with my parenting, I'm not going to fix them with one conversation. I'm not going to, like, like we literally have, like we have things that we're working in on and we check in every week. That takes a lot of work. But like, for example, if someone says, um, I don't feel like you are romantic enough. Okay, well, number one, define what romantic looks like to you. Because I, I, need, I need to know because I can't be out here working for stuff and that ain't really what you want. Right? So define what romantic looks like. Define, tell me how often you would like to have that happen. And then we check in at the end of the week. Because if we don't check in, how do we know that we make progress? Because the other thing, too, is that progress is in perspective. So if someone says that you're not romantic enough and you did one thing and you never used to do anything, you now feel extremely romantic and they still feel like you slipping. That's why it's important to have the conversation. I don't feel like you listen to me when I'm talking to you. How can we check in and make sure? Tell me sometimes that I did it well. Let's talk about the times that we need to do better. You got to be, you got to get good at having crucial conversations. And the truth of it is, is that when you have kids, it is easier to focus your attention on your kids than to focus your attention on what needs to be fixed in your relationship. All right, so... Here are the five characteristics of dull or stupid people. Number one, they refuse to learn. How well do you know yourself? How well do you know your spouse? How well do you know your kids? And how well do you know the strategies needed to increase the quality of your life in an area? So how well do you know your spouse? How well do you know yourself? You know, people change in seasons. What your favorite ice cream was when you was 20 may not be your favorite ice cream when you're 30. And so you like the, because we, when we do the marriage game and we've done like the newlywed game and like people are saying like, his favorite food is chicken. He likes spaghetti because he changed and you didn't know and you didn't know because you didn't keep talking. 
because you didn't keep talking. So you don't even know that the person that you're living with is evolving right before your eyes. And you don't even know because you don't ask them any questions about them. Do you know what makes your spouse afraid? Do you know what your spouse considers to be extremely disrespectful? Do you know what fills your spouse's love tank? Do you know what fills your kid's love tank? Do you know those things? So the characteristics of dull people is that they refuse to learn. The second characteristic is that they refuse to implement. They get the information and they won't do it. They go, well, I tried and it didn't work. So let me get this right. So y'all been married for five years. Y'all been cussing each other out for four years and 11 months. Y'all went to one counseling session. And now you think it don't work because you went to one counseling session and you didn't implement it. That just don't even make sense. Just like you know going to the gym one time doing 100 sit-ups ain't going to give you no abs. You know it's not. Anything that gets successful in life happens because you keep on doing it. And if you've had bad habits, you got to work harder. So they refuse to implement. Number three, they make excuses. Here is my favorite marriage excuse. Well, I don't do it because he don't do it. Oh, hey, I need some music for that one. I need some music for that one. Help us. I don't do it because he don't do it. I don't hug him because he don't hug me. I don't kiss her because she don't kiss me. I don't initiate because she don't initiate. You just make excuses. I don't like to have sex because I'm bigger than I was. Well, you, they know you bigger than you were. <laughs> they see you go to the bathroom. You ain't tricking nobody. That don't even make sense. No, I'm trying to have real conversations and stuff. You, you're not, this is not 1950. You're not sleeping in two different bedrooms. They see you get in the shower, out the shower. They know. They know. They know. And if you really feel that way, if you really feel bad, fix your body so you can feel good. But the truth of it is, is that most people in love have very different beauty standards than people they just picking up. to have sex and now you don't like to have sex have you been to the doctor have you found out if there's a hormonal balance do you have a trust issue that's been broken that hasn't been healed like you can't just be like you can't just used to do it and then don't do it like that just doesn't work like me and Pastor Edwin had these scenarios we say because like we always do what ifs so his what if was like what if I came in and I decided that I was going to go on a one-year fast and we weren't going to have sex for a year. And I said, well, I'm going to have sex with somebody. I hope it's you. <laughs> Joking, but the point was I wanted him to understand 
that that's a non-negotiable for me. Like that, 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 I, I didn't sign up. I, I, I ain't sign up. I did not sign up. That ain't what I signed up for. That, that's not what I signed up. In fact, the, in fact, I said to him, I said, the Bible says your body belonged to me. You can't fash that body without my permission. And my permission says no. Those are, y'all laughing, but do you have those kind of conversations? Do you know how many times a week that your spouse needs to have sex? Do you know that? Or are you just showing up with whatever worked for you? Do, have you had those kind of conversations? Do you know whether your spouse think you kiss well? well. Or whether you get on your spouse's nerve because you licking them outside on the mouth and stuff? Do you know? in your marriage, if you got one thing that's going well, you can build on it. But let me tell you what can't work. You can't have no money, no romance, no compatibility and think you're going to make it. You got to be able to, at least, you got to be like, well, listen, we can't afford to go to the movies, but we can go in this bedroom. Listen. <laughs> but no, you can, I mean, Netflix and chill. Because you know what I have never understood? I have never understood how people who are fornicating have better sex lives than people who have sex that's ordained by God. Wow. But, I will, but I never understood it, but I do understand it. Let me tell you what the difference is. is that when people are not married, they put a lot of work into sex. When the last time you put some work into sex? I wasn't going to even talk about sex. Y'all must need it because it just keep coming up because that ain't what I was going to talk about. When not, like, like when people, cause, cause y'all won't admit that y'all was a heathen, but I was used to be a heathen, okay? And when you, when you a heathen and you gonna have sex, you plan for sex. When you know that you gonna have a date, baby, you get your whole life together, whole life together. So how are you married? And you do more for somebody who didn't mean anything to you than you do for the person that you said you was going to spend your life with. How you got matching bra and panties for somebody who just a booty call, but a house coat for your husband? You got a house coat, a scarf that smell like sulfur eight and coconut oil. And Rod said, matching slippers. <laughs> no, this is real talk. This is real talk because I'm trying to help us live long and strong and be happy. So, at, so here's the difference. When people were single, come on back. Come on back. Don't be flashbacking and having to repent. Um, when people are single and they're involved in sin, they prepare. You in covenant unprepared. They prepare. They put a lot of effort into it. What, 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 Matt, no, don't ask your spouse yet. 
Measure your own effort. And then before the end of the day, ask them what they think about your effort. I mean, because maybe you think you bring an A game and they think you got D minus game and that really matters. All right. They make excuses. Tell your neighbor, say, stop making excuses. <laughs> Number four, they procrastinate. Dull, stupid people, they procrastinate. You know your marriage is in trouble, but you procrastinate. Won't go to counseling, won't read a book, won't tell nobody the truth about what's really going on. Pat, you procrastinate. I cannot tell you how many times that by the time somebody has talked to us, they have all... Excuse me, they've already decided they're getting a divorce. Like, you already decided, what you want me to say now? You don't file the papers, you got a lease on the second place, what am I supposed to say? Why, why you didn't call us when you first thought, I think I want to get a divorce? That's when you pick up the phone, you go, wait, hold on, listen, I had this thought. I can see myself living without this person. In fact, I prefer that they not be here. You got to talk then. This is my, um, oh yeah, number five, they ignore the signs. They ignore the signs. Here's the reality. Healthy people have sex. They just do. Healthy people have sex. Men and women. Sex ain't just a thing that men want. Healthy people have sex. Don't ignore the sign that you're not having sex. Because if you marry to somebody and y'all ain't have sex, you got problems. The pro I'm not saying the problem means there's adultery, but there at least is a breach in trust and intimacy somewhere. Because people who are healthy and in healthy relationships have sex. You should have played on that one. <laughs> yeah. Listen, we told you, in this next quarter, we gonna go hard on family. And we believe that the first place you fix it is the marriage. Fix your marriage. Rate your marriage. Pastor Edwin and I used to do this all the time. Rate your marriage on a scale of 1 to 10. We even got a workbook where you can do it. Rate your marriage on a scale of 1 to 10. Okay? Well, if you think it's a 7, what would it take to make it an 8? Once it's an 8, what would it take to make it a 9? Because if you champions, the goal ought to be to have a 10 marriage, right? Yeah? You should want a 10 marriage. You should want them full days of heaven on earth. Now, this is the last thing I'm going to say this about this, and then you can take up your offering. Listen, I'm, listen, you should know this. As far as what I can read in the Bible, ain't going to be no sex in heaven. Get it while you can. I, I mean, based on what I read, I'm hoping that I read it wrong, that they pulled a chapter out or something, but based on what I read in the Bible, based on what, some people are like, I don't want to know if I want to go to heaven. No, you do want to go. You still want to go. <laughs> you want to go. But the Bible says that they'll be neither given to marriage, in marriage, all of those things. So I don't know if that just means we'll be a spirit being. I don't know if that means you won't have tinglies. I'm not sure what that means. But what I can tell you is that based on our, our understanding right now, people in heaven won't have sex. So you marry in covenant right now, not having sex. 
You got heathens who have more sex than you. They planning. Listen, you might need to talk to some of your single heathen friends and get some tips. You stare yourself be like, because they be having a plan. And the truth of it is, is that for, particularly for men, sex is a way that men stay connected. Y'all should, men, you should be clapping for me. I'm up in here helping you. I, I'm going to say it again. I'm going to give you a chance to give me the support that I need. Chase, sit down. Sit down. This is not a game. It's okay, he's playing. He playing. Uh, <laughs> no little kids when we talk about sex next month. Um, so I'm going to say it again. For men, sex is a part of connection. But for women, intimacy is a part of connection. So the way that you keep them both in balance is that you have to do them both. So women, if you see these men go home and they working on their intimacy, go ahead and just give them some. Quit playing. Don't make them men go out there and work hard and try to do all of that stuff and then you go to sleep with that rag on your head. You show up. You show up. If he listened to that whole story and he don't fade to black, that's his try. He trying. He trying. Now, you know if he don't usually wash the dishes and he in there washing them dishes, you know he is working on something. Help that brother out. But, men, you know that most women don't just show up without some intimacy. You got to get your listening skills on. You got to focus. You got to listen to that story about her friend that you don't care about. You got to purpose in your heart, ask two questions. That's the two, three questions. You got to hug her. You got to touch the small of her back when she walking out of place. You got to tell her that she pretty. You got to say that stuff that you, you know how you wooed her in the beginning? You got to keep wooing. You know all that. You know that Mac game you were so proud of in the beginning when you was like. All that swag. This is the truth. What, whatever it takes to get. That's what it takes to keep her. You got to bring that same. You Listen, women know when you looking at them like they're like you, they like they your kid's mama. And when you looking at them, looking at them, you got to keep that look. Y'all practice that look. If you if a woman beside you, or if your wife beside you, don't just be right. Your wife. <laughs> 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 
feel? When the last time you made your wife feel like the most beautiful, special, the one you pick over everybody? I know you picked her, but when the last time you said that? Like you it, I pick you. Because women, they, like I ain't even, I am not even the man. I said it and women got, they started smiling. They was just like, oh, yes, right. Women, like, because women want to know that you still choose us. Not that you stuck with us. Not that you here because of the kids. Ladies, am I right? Yes. You want to know that you still choose us.